3: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on black and white and all over. I am your host Danny coming to you for episode number 46. Number 46, the amount of, uh, let's see, uh, I'm looking at my list here, the amount of points that it's felt like Juventus has dropped against teams that are potentially relegated at the end of the season. So, as you can tell, we're already off to a good note, coming off another disappointing result against, this time, Fiorentina. So, let me bring in... First, the crew of Samuel Pressy Hello Sam.
0: Why do my favorite sports teams insist on doing things that piss me <laughs> off this week?
3: That's what, that's what, uh, that's what they exist for, man. Uh... <laughs> We've got Chucks, Hello Chucks.
1: Greetings, greetings. I did not see that one coming. I thought it was going to be a short number. I, I did not see that coming.
3: So well, honestly, well the, the reality, and as I pointed it out in my game thread, and then Sergio mentioned it in his grab bag that went live earlier today, we were recording on Monday, the actual number against, uh, I believe it is, let me pull it up here first. I should probably have been prepared. Juventus has dropped 18 points against the likes of Benevento, Elas Verona, Crotone, Torino, and Fiorentina. So, there you go, chaps. Not quite forty-six, but eighteen yeah. is well, it feels <laughs> like it. It, it, it like does it. feel like it. Speaking of Fiorentina, we are Sergio lists this week, so we have our buddy from Viola Nation, Tito, coming to join us today. Hello, Tito.
2: Good afternoon, everybody, and it is lovely to be here, especially under these circumstances. <laughs>
3: I'm sure it is as uh, as taking points away from Juventus not once but twice in a season is certainly uh, certainly a joy to you as these times are, are – as they are interesting for Juventus, I'm sure they are just as interesting for uh, different reasons for Fiorentina. And I want to actually start with Tito because an outsider's view of Juventus, obviously we've discussed in the past that they're not necessarily appointment viewing for you seeing as you you root for a team in purple. But just from your point of view, what is wrong with this Juventus team? And obviously, going off of yesterday's game, it uh, it is another prime example that this team is just so incredibly flawed in so many different ways.
2: Yeah, I've, I've probably only watched an entire UBE game maybe half a dozen times this year. So I am way, way far away from being an expert. The first thing that hit me was that this three five two that Pirlo ran out was just catastrophically bad. Seeing all of you nod, so I feel like I'm on the right track here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the the lack of any real creativity in the wide areas, particularly against teams like Fiorentina, especially under Giuseppe Giacchini, who are just gonna sit deep and play five central defenders across the back, even if one of them is Igor, who's basically a refrigerator on rocket skates it's it's very easy for them to uh clog the middle sit deep invite a bunch of midfielders forward and then hit on the counter which they did fiorentina did very well which is a rare occurrence for them to do anything very well this year uh i guess the other thing that really stood out to me was the the lack of incision in midfield i know that danny this has been one of your things for a little bit i've read a couple of your pieces on this but I mean, Aaron Ramsey didn't create anything. Adrian Rabiot was completely invisible. Rodrigo Betancourt, especially in the first half, I only really noticed him when Sofian Amrabat was given in Bofa. So, like, yeah, it's it seems pretty embarrassing to me for a Juve midfield to be that short-staffed and that out of ideas against a team that, like, it's Beppe Yakite. You know exactly what they're going to do. You've had a whole week to prepare and that's what they troddled out. I don't know if that's Pierlo being out of ideas or if that's just that the personnel available are woefully inadequate in the middle, but I would imagine y'all have a much better sense of this stuff than
0: I do. So I'd actually be very interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, well, I mean, the, the midfield strikes again, certainly i mean just the the lack of, of of quality there and the and the lack of unity there like we we've, we've said this a lot before on the on the pod and uh, and and in print that there are individually talented players in this midfield and none of them actually fit together as a unit to be able to complement each other and play and and work that said, this is I, I wrote this in my piece, which started a nice little fracas in the comments. This is this is one of the times this year that, and they are relatively few that where I really am putting the the onus and responsibility for how bad this game was on Andrea Pirlo. Usually I don't. Usually I I don't think that as it I I tend to say no coach can get much more out of this group based on how it's constructed the way he approached this game on Sunday was bad it was a huge mistake between the the players that he put into midfield which you know if if Weston McKinney and Artur are truly not able to start physically right now then you need to be using a double pivot because you can't be using all three of those midfielders at the same time because they can't actually work together. Aaron Ramsey is useless for one thing. And then Benton Core and Rabiot, as we've been saying a lot this year, are just too similar to each other to be able to to make anything happen in there. And it is weird because if you put them in as a double pivot, they can work off of each other a little bit better but as a 3 you're basically throwing two out of your three guys are the same player and if ramsey is going to be the guy that you need for creativity right now he's just not doing that and there're also i didn't really think there was much of a need for three center backs either with the with the way yakini was playing there there's you know have have delict around to chase ribéry have Chiellini around to try to kick Vlahovic in the, in the teeth a few times. And then you don't need Bonucci. You don't need anybody. <laughs> I <laughs> like, resent
2: that Vlahovic kicking by the right, by the way, I just want that on the record. I, <laughs>
0: yeah. but
3: uh, well, he, he did it. He did his own different kind of kicking onto Chesney's arms. So,
0: yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed he did. Um, And really he's, Ooh. he's yeah, he's getting more and more impressive by the, by the week. And it really is. It really is fun to watch. He is really genuinely fun to watch. I do wonder, and I said this in the in my New York Club WhatsApp chat at one point late in the game, how much we are missing Tito's X is really, really apparent. I really wonder how different this game would have been if Federico Chiesa was healthy. To have his pace and his drive on that other wing alongside Quadrado, I think, could have caused the problems that you were talking about Tito getting you know some some stuff going out wide right now if one or the other of Chiesa and Quadrado isn't on the field there is one wing that works attacking wise and one wing that really kind of doesn't but yeah this this was and you know Pirlo gets you, you give some credit to Pirlo for recognizing how terribly wrong he got this at halftime and making the change And the team was obviously a much better team in the second half, but those points were lost in the first half because it was just so bad. And it wasn't even like, you know, I didn't even think that it was, you know, it's not like Wojciech Chesney was under siege or anything. I mean, Fiorentina had only four shots on target the entire game, but it just, Juve had nothing, absolutely nothing against a, a team that was coached by a guy who, if, if you remember a couple of years ago, we hammered seven to nothing. Like we just put an, hung an epic curb stomp on a Yakini be- a Achini coach Sassuolo team a few years ago. And now we're not even, you know, now we're, we need Alvaro Morata to pull a miracle out of the air to get one. And don't get me started about the other forward who um, missed what might be the sitter of the year. But yeah, I mean, there, there really are no words other than it was, God, that wasn't good enough all around. And not only that, we come back to it again. You know, the front office has been in the news for a lot of things lately. But again, they just have not produced a team that can give the quality that we have been used to during this nine year stretch of titles. They have not built the team well. And this is the result. When you have a team that isn't built well and doesn't go together, it you get really disjointed, awful performances like that first half. And then you have to try and dig yourself out of a hole.
1: You know, it's funny. You uh, you were talking about Chiesa and you said like pace and, and something else. Whenever, <laughs> whenever I, hear, I hear someone say pace and I, I, hear, I think of um, Alan Shearer on Match of the Day uh, and he goes like, oh, he's got great pace and power. I just always think always think of the <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, what do you think of that Alan? Oh yeah, no, he have got great peace and power down the wings. <laughs> I just always think of that. When well, I used to watch Match of the Day anyway. But anyway, <laughs> weird jokes aside. Yeah, I mean you basically said it all, you know, um, uh, Sam. I with the 352 thing that Pierlo set out, it's like when I first saw it, I kind of appreciated that he, you know. That he thought, okay, the and is playing like this. Let me set up this specific tactical setup to try and counter them. Like, I appreciated that there was thought to it, you know, like that he actually, because I mean, it shows that you, you know, studied the opposition in this case incorrectly, but, (laughs) but, you know, it shows that you kind of like did your homework and you thought, okay, let's do this to counter that. But I mean, clearly it didn't work. Clearly it was the wrong homework. I don't know. Maybe, uh, Maybe you cheated off the wrong person uh, during the exam. I don't know, but but yeah, I mean, so I'll give him some kind of credit there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, this this draw was really really on him. You know, we talked like you said. We talked about uh, Rabio and Tancour. It's just that kind of redundancy of like they just are the same person, sort of. Ben Tancour being the better player, definitely. But I don't know. I've I've always been kind of like a Rabio. would have defender. said that?
0: Who would have said that at the end of last year? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. True. Like, even
0: after Rabio finished the restart so well, yeah. Benton Core was just playing so well last year that it just, it, like, you know, we were all expecting by this time this this season to be talking about him as a world class player. And he's taken such a strange step back. It was, it's, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what that's about. Sorry to interrupt. Hey, are you going to yeah. let
3: this man talk about your son like that? <laughs> I'm frustrated with my son this season, Tito. <laughs> Man, frustration <laughs> is the
1: word of the season. Really. I mean,
3: I, I mentioned it. And I think Sam mentioned it as well in in his piece. That that moment in the second half, where Bentancor sprints what felt like nearly forty yards, wins the ball back, runs into the box, tries to drop it back to I forget who it was at the top of the box. I remember that. Yeah. And it's just a pass to Kulusevsky.
0: It was my son. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. I remember. He that. tries to yeah. set Kulusevsky
3: up for. I assume what would have been a one or two touch move from, from Kulusevsky because that's that's how he loves to cut inside but the path was just so completely off the mark. It's like he did all of this right and then the final thing it just goes goes astray and it's just that that is Bentancourt's season in a nutshell. He just can't the things he did so well last year, he can't reproduce it this season and it, it's just frustrating
1: And it's a shame as well because uh, he's got great pace and power
3: Thank you Alan, so. thank you Alan <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and Scher, which granted I do have to say um, Sherrod did get inducted into the Hall of Fame Premier League Hall of Fame today uh, to- day i believe so congratulations uh, but anyway i mean he's great he's a great guy but i just i love I just i just love taking a mickey out of him him and uh, uh uh mark lawrenson god i wish i could do his voice he just he's got this nasally voice
3: <laughs> try it try it chuck you're the oh, you're
1: the uh... I, I tried it so many times i can't i just can't <laughs> no i can't even it's just this really nasally voice but um, but yeah no um anyway back 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 to the game it's funny because, I mean, I think we've all agreed that our best midfield, central midfield, well, sort of central midfield uh, setup is um, Artur, Bentancur, and and McKinney. You know, when the three of them are on form, they complement each other greatly. And they're just, you know, just great together. I mean, uh, McKinney's energy and that kind of connection between midfield and attack, Artur's uh, tiny circles and distribution especially, which, you know... I, I've, I've really come to our, uh, appreciate Artur a lot more like as the season uh, continued because like his I mean, his ability to really keep the ball is extremely, extremely impressive. Um, you know, he's he just just making
0: boneheaded moves nope. in defense or passing the ball yeah. three quarters of the way across the yep. field in front of his own goal. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, that is it, it, the Barcelona.
3: It, it that one thing.
1: Yeah, that is such as the Barcelona way. But no, he always he has a lot of times where I'm like, Oh, he's gonna he's gonna lose the ball here and he just doesn't lose it. Like, just doesn't lose it. So I mean that's that's you know really impressive. But yeah, you're right. It it in in a way Biro setting up the three-five two, it just meant that there were basically the entire play was in the center of the pitch because you know, you have three center backs versus three center backs three central midfielders first three central midfielders um, well and then yeah two strikers and two strikes obviously the two strikers against the center backs but anyway you get what I mean but you know everyone was in a central like the only wide players for us were Cuadrado and Alexandro and uh, for Fiorentina I guess Igor and uh, I forget
2: who, uh, Lolo Venuti
1: ah, the smileyest the man on the field at all times I. that was exactly what I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> So it just was a really really congested play uh, match just in the center in the center because there were basically only central players so that I mean that obviously that that plays to the team that doesn't want to you know Play a lot, I guess, uh, you know, which is obviously going to be the lesser team. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but you know, and but yeah, like you said, credits to Pirlo for recognizing that in halftime and just you know changing that up. And I mean, clearly that worked <laughs> a lot because it was night and day between the first half and the, and the second half. But yeah, it just kind of sums up the season, you know. Just I mean, the amount of points dropped against smaller teams—it's just like, come on. I mean, you know, it, it's yeah, that's unacceptable, but. Well, I mean, I don't know. It, it, hopefully we just learn for this for next season, I pray. Because like I said, I've said it a hundred times. And, you know, if next year becomes another transition year, we are really, really screwed, I think.
3: You just look how the rest of the, the week's results went. Milan dropped points. Atalanta win. Napoli wins. There are currently three teams sitting on 66 points. Juventus is one of them. And if we thought the race for Europe was tight before, well, after this weekend with five games to go, it's it's even tighter. So it, it's the same old thing. This team is, you know, you look at Rabio's mistake, give away a penalty, another self-inflicted wound to a season that has been just filled with self-inflicted wounds. So it's frustrating. And I was just sitting there, I mean, albeit, you know, I was awake at the uh, ass crack of dawn for the Juventus women game, so I was already frustrated about that. But then you compound that with how Juventus played against Fiorentina, and it's just yeah, it was it was a bad day of, of of ball. I can I can definitely say that. So,
0: and it is amazing to think that after all of this, after that Milan game today, Juventus still controls their own destiny, which is insane to realize. That we are actually right now, you know, if the if the season did end today, we would be in the Champions League. Other things pending, we'll get to that. But uh, <laughs> but that it it's it is amazing that no one seems to want to pull away right now in this gaggle of people and teams. Atalanta are the are the only ones that I would not think would have like a real lapse over the the course of the um over the course of the run and Napoli have a I mean, Napoli obviously have the easiest run in. although they I think their second to last game is actually against you guys Tito and you guys will probably be playing for your you guys will have a lot to be playing for at that point hopefully give or not. take well yeah hopefully hopefully not but I mean I mean if you guys do that's a that's a that's a bit of a you know, that's a, that becomes a slightly trickier game. And we all know what happens when Napoli plays Fiorentina and they're chasing Juventus. I mean, that's just, uh, that's just how things go. But... Uh, oh, God.
2: Those tears are delicious, Sam. Please send really me more go. of them.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, to, to think that we still do technically control what happens in the Champions League race right now for us, after everything that this team has done wrong is really shocking
1: and you've got a uh, atalanta milan milan on the final match day which uh, well he can't make that up <laughs>
0: <laughs> that'll be decisive in a lot of ways uh, yeah which that'll be come... just, that could be decisive for a couple teams
1: depending yeah, on yeah. How
0: the, everything uh, else goes goes and
1: you know as a side note i was just looking at the schedule just as you were talking so lazio still have a catch-up game a game against torino that i think was like uh, I think it was excessive rain some time ago or something or, or maybe it was, cold. I, I don't know. Anyway, it got postponed some time ago. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, that will be soon that they re- replay that game. That game is <laughs> going to be replayed on May 18th, which is five days before the final match day of the season, which is just ludicrous. Like how can you leave like that, a catch-up game? Like this important. Lazio
0: Torino. that, that was because the, that delay was because the sp- it, that was a COVID thing, and Lazio yeah. wanted a forfeit, and they didn't get one because not Nap- of Napoli's verdict against us.
1: Yeah, which which is fair. Like that's fine, but it's like I mean, they neither team is playing in Europe, so they have more than enough time to catch that game up. Like anytime soon, I just find it like crazy. Such an important game to leave it, it all the way till then.
2: Bizarre scheduling in Serie A. No, no. no I never. Yeah, madness, no. God,
3: <laughs> So
1: yeah, I just thought you know, I just I was just looking at that as you were talking, Sam, and I was like, what? Like, How? So you know,
3: Tudo, your your thoughts on everything that is going on in the top four? Obviously, you've got like we've mentioned, relegation worries to uh, occupy your mind first and foremost. But knowing that this, as Sam said, is a, is a battle where nobody's really taking control of, other than say Atalanta for second place currently. It's and. Sorry for the language again but it's just a com- complete clusterfuck right now isn't it? It is. It's it's actually kind of glorious. I really like it when
2: it gets You're stupid. Up you're such top. an
3: agent of chaos sometimes. Absolute. Dude, if you're a Fiorentina
2: <laughs> fan, you don't like things to be easier or logical. That's that's kind of how it works. Yeah, I'm actually kind of intrigued by it. I think that uh I mean Again, sorry, everyone listening. I think it's not a terrible thing for Juventus to miss out on the Champions League this year after winning, you know, the past couple of centuries in a row. It, it'd be really nice to add a little bit of a variety in there. And also Juve and the Europa League could be very entertaining to me for any number of reasons. Yeah, I, I think I don't trust Milan. I've seen what Stefano Pioli teams do in crunch time. Uh, He had a pretty rough run in with Fiorentina where they could have easily qualified for the Europa league and just collapsed, uh, lost to Cagliari in a, who was at the time in a relegation battle, spoiler alert, and then got shelled by Milan, of course, on the last day of the season to lose out on that spot to the Rossoneri. And I, I mean, Pioli seems like a lovely, lovely man. Nothing but respect for him. The way that he handled the team and everything around Davide Astori's death was done with the greatest grace and dignity imaginable. I don't. I have not found anyone who has a bad thing to say about him as a human being, which is obviously way more important than kicking a ball and stuff. But I think his teams also have a tendency to get figured out. I think you saw it with Lazio earlier today, they clearly knew exactly what they were doing. And aside from the first 30 seconds, Milan never threatened. And it, yeah, so I, I don't trust them. I think they're going to keep on dropping like a stone. And then, yeah, Napoli, I mean, sure. Juve, maybe. It's It really feels like nobody wants it very much, like like Sam was saying. And that's fun because, yeah, chaos.
3: We've replaced our usual agent of chaos with a substitute agent of chaos. So, Sergio's spirit is still here with us, even though he's not physically here.
2: It's what? What kind of chaos is he like? A good? Is he like a? Uh,
3: he he's been. Uh, what's his uh, alignment, basically? He, he's been he's, saying Juventus in the Ro- Europa League would be hilariously fun for a few weeks now. So,
0: I would call. I would call chaotic him good. Cha- I would yeah. I would call him chaotic good. I think I, I would say that.
3: Fair.
2: I'd I'm I've tried to bring a little bit more chaotic evil energy in here with y'all.
0: <laughs> well, we don't expect anything less, but
3: <laughs> Yeah, if you if you recall when we recorded and obviously we don't want to talk too much about Sergio when he's not in the in the Zoom room, but you you nah, remember Do it.
1: Do it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you all you all remember on the uh, Maurizio Sarri fired podcast that turned into reports of Andrea Pirlo hired towards oh, yeah. about 2 thirds of the way in. It took Sergio about two or three minutes to be like, all right, I'm all in. Let's do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, age of age chaos.
1: It'll be fun for poker, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
3: We mentioned Um, Europe, and obviously that's a a big thing, but there's also the thing that could potentially prevent Juventus from being in Europe, even if they do finish in the top four. And that's the Super League, as Tito's face lights up because he's he's ready to talk Super League. Of course, on the same day that our podcast talking about the Super League last week comes out, Super League falls apart. So we've been sitting on this for a week now since – everything you know since the six English clubs backed out one by one and then a couple other followed I believe was Atleti and then Inter. So there are four remaining. Juventus is one of them. Andrea Yelli is reportedly still very much in favor of the Super League happen, happening for obvious reasons. He's not giving stupid interviews like Florentino Perez but he's not pulling Juventus out of the Super League which makes sense because he's one of the one of the guys driving the bus. So Super League, RIP, two days, uh, two days of a life form. And now you're suddenly uh, gone again, and we'll probably be coming back in a couple of years, huh?
0: I don't know if it will all of a sudden, because you look at some of the news that's come out, like the news from the FIGC meeting today, that is essentially, they're going to be installing a rule that says if you sign up to play a tournament that is not condoned by UEFA and FIFA, you will get kicked out of Italian domestic competition. So, you know, Andrea Agnelli is this is a this really is must must be a nightmare scenario for Andrea Agnelli. Not only does this thing that has been his that has obviously been his baby for a long time. I read a goal I read a goal.com article saying that according to their sources this started actually with Bartomeu at Barcelona and the first person he brought into it was Agnelli and so he was an early buy into this and he it's it's very clear that he hardcore believes in this and for it to have blown up so spectacularly in his face not only you know fr- from a attack from from a, a from a strategic level the league is you know you know everything disintegrated really really quickly Also, on a personal level, I I, I said this before like, the more and more we hear about this, like the the reports that Agnelli was on the phone with Alexander Seferin in the hours before the announcement, reassuring him that it wasn't, that nothing was happening. And then just to, to, to be shown as that two faced to the entire world and then to fail. And not only to fail, but for UEFA and FIFA to have their hands infinitely strengthened over this. Because now you're... Because I wouldn't surprise me if rules like what the FIGC were just talking about are going to start popping up elsewhere now. You know, Ju- Juventus are persona non grata in UEFA. They've withdrawn from the European Club Association, which is an organization that they helped found with its predecessor, this is all a really roundabout way for me to say, why is Andrea Agnelli still the president of Juventus? I am going to be writing something about this, but when you fail this titanically and put the the organization that you are leading in such a terrible position, you can't continue. It just doesn't work. I'm looking at, you know just just looking you know unless there's you know they unless he fi- he finally gives you know he or whoever ends up running Juventus will see, finally gives up the ghost on this and and pulls pulls away from the the super league very possible that you won't be playing in europe as you said danny not only that you know i said last week when we were talking about this that like all the stuff that we were talking about with transfers like goes out the window you know, in terms of transfer targets because because of the backlash for this. If Andrea Agnelli is still running Juventus, who is going to do business with us? Like, you're, like, one of the, the, the club that we probably have the closest relationship with in terms of transfers over the last five or six years has been Sassuolo. They were one of the 11 clubs that signed that letter telling the telling lega Seria uh, to to punish the three italian cl- us and inter and milan one of the strongest relationships that we have with the club outside of italy was with Michel Aulo, uh Aula, Aula, how, how do you pronounce that uh, his name at, at Lyon, and he came Chuck, out and said no, no. <laughs> and and he said right, do i'm just some guy <laughs> And he said, I don't know what, and he said on the record this past week, I don't know what, I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on. I, he, he basically said, I don't know if I can trust Danielli anymore. And like, like all of the, all of the bridges have been firebombed. There, the club has no influence in where the European game might go anymore. The way... Obviously, obviously, Sephanin is not going to be listening to any calls from Juventus anytime soon. And the ECA, you know, I mean, all, it, it remains to be seen what the ECA will do with all 12 of the teams, because they all essentially withdrew from the ECA at the same time. Like, you have left Juventus a, a pariah in European soccer. And you failed in your objective with the Super League. It's not happening right now. Based on some of the things that we've seen in this last couple of days, they might not ever be able to get something like that off the ground. And I'm not trying to put UEFA or FIFA on some kind of pedestal here because they are titanically corrupt organizations in their own right. But when you make them look good by comparison... You are doing work. And I mean, I I I, pers- I think that either Andrea Agnelli has to has to bite the bullet and and finally acknowledge defeat and give up. Or and the, the, the date of this is May 27th, when this might happen, is that at the next EXOR shareholders meeting, John Elkin may decide to force his hand. And if he decides that it's, you know, that his position is untenable and and replace him. I hope one of those two things happens because I don't see, I see an incredibly bleak future for this club if Andrea Agnelli is still running it before next season. Because I don't see what, I don't see how anyone will engage with us Based off of what's happened in the last two weeks,
1: yeah, and uh, you know, if if indeed Sam, if all of that does happen, like in terms of you know the future and how other clubs deal with us, which I I mean, it's definitely a possibility with that. Yeah, I mean, objectively speaking, it makes it pretty hard for Agnelli to do to do his job, like as a president. So, I mean, just in terms of you know his job description of running an organization and being the head of the organization, it it becomes pretty hard for him to do his job. I mean, to the point where, you know, uh, he might be more, I I don't know if I should say that, but if he, he might become more detrimental to the club than, you know, positive to it because indeed, I mean, uh, the PR fallout from this whole super league ordeal uh, for the, for, for him clearly has been catastrophic. And then by extension, for us being the club is also pretty, you know, bad because it just like, he is the head, the chief executive, you know, he's the head of the club. So anything that kind of people are going to, you know, extend whatever bad he does to kind of, to the club, it kind of like an osmosis, if you will, kind of, uh, or kind of a negative halo effect, I guess. But yeah. So, you know, if his image becomes so bad, it might start to affect the club. And yeah, if it does, then he, he, He is damaging the club, basically, which I mean, I think he already has through through this whole Super League thing, which, again, I mean, I know that Hunter Hunter in the Slack uh, channel, he always talks about just the whole intentions versus results kind of thing. And, you know, how I, I and I agree with this, I genuinely believe that Agnelli's intentions were for the best of the club like this whole super league thing even though obviously i disagree with just the whole super league stuff yeah. i mean he he is
0: know. drunk that he has drunk that kool-aid he truly i do think he truly believes that he is doing what is good what is best not just for juventus but for football as a whole yeah
1: and likewise i think Petters, that's incredibly like,
0: misguided but i think he actually does believe that
1: yeah yeah and likewise Florentino perez like you know um, that obviously, we talked about in uh, off air, but yeah, like, likewise, then, them two, you know, they did do this in, in terms of intentions, they did do this in the best interest of their club. But then the results, I mean, you know, intentions versus results are, you know, two very different things. You know, at a point, I can, there's a point where I can forgive, like, okay, you know, you, you had good intentions, and like, okay, it didn't turn out well, but like, you know, I can forgive it. But, uh, you know, the level of fallout, the level of damage that this whole Super League, thing stuff is done for the club and just our reputation i mean i i frankly screw your intentions i mean given the results it's it's hard to kind of you know easily wave that away so uh, yeah it's yeah it's tough and obviously there's that ultimatum from the figc about just you know any clubs that do an outside competition will be banned and stuff, which I think I want to say that Colombia was in the same situation in the fifties. If I remember my history correctly, I think, I think Colombia, I vaguely remember watching some documentary about that, that uh, they were like a kind of a pirate league uh, in the fifties and FIFA didn't recognize them basically. And then, uh, but that means that if FIFA doesn't recognize you, you also don't have to, abide by their rules in terms of transfers and transfer windows. And so it was, they, they attracted like the best players and it it was, it was fascinating stuff, but um, obviously drug money and all that too. But um, it was, it was just a fascinating little historical tidbit, but yeah, I guess one more thing I do want to say on the super league before I pass over to uh, Tito is, um, you know, I try, I try as much as possible to kind of like, you know, look on the other side of things and like, you know, play devil's advocate and all that because um i remember uh i think it was david brooks that said it in a new york times writer he said something along the lines of like wisdom is just this constant awareness that you might be wrong in whatever you're saying so i have to try and think like okay you know how might i be wrong and stuff but um so there's a there's obviously the whole narrative of like uefa and fifa being corrupt and like obviously they're not you know not very great organizations and obviously i agree with that and you know uefa and fifa like they're, cry- they're crying foul, but like, obviously they're not the best intentioned uh, organizations either. Uh, but that said, uh, people say like, well, the clubs went for their own profit, but like I if UEFA is out there to help us. But I mean, they are the kind of UEFA and FIFA, their mission, their jobs is really to look out for, you know, the Liechtensteins, the Maltas, the Cypresses, the Finlands and like, you know, all the obscure like leagues and countries and stuff. And I, I mentioned this last time too, you know, um, and I was reading something today. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of read this off the article. Their 2019-2020 UEFA club uh, revenue distribution system. So this is on their website, which I don't know, maybe they, you know, hopefully is truthful, but I'm going to assume it's truthful. So they're saying that from 2019-2020, gross commercial revenue from the three competitions. So Champions League, Europa League, Super Cup was 3.25 billion euros. So, uh, you know, chunk of change there. So then uh, they break it down and they say, you know, there's operating costs, administrative costs, all that stuff. And then so after all of that, they have 2.73 billion remaining. And then they say 93.5% of that money is distributed to the participating clubs. So it's like, you know obviously they're they're corrupt they're they're not very good but at the end of the day i mean basically all of the money they get they distribute it to the clubs so obviously like again i think they're very very flawed organizations but at the end of the day they are looking they are more looking out for the collective than like the super league clubs are to me anyway i think they're you know there's solidarity payments to like the smaller leagues And, and this is just from their you know Uh, club competitions this is not you know with the euros and the the international tournaments and stuff so you know i i I just try and think like okay like how sure you wait for and fifa are bad but like how are they maybe slightly good and i think that is one way in which they are and like you know they are looking out more for the collective and i was listening to a bbc podcast to yeah, it was today. Uh, and of course, my man, Tim Vickery, was, you know, laying it out there. He was, he was putting them balls. Tim! He was, he was, Tim. He was <laughs> I, well, I do have tea. Oh, I just finished it. Oh, well. <laughs> no, <it's finished. laughs> so uh, um, shout out to my green tea. But he was saying, you know, that they have pundits from different continents and stuff uh, come on. And there was one uh, from Africa, covering the African region. Uh, he wasn't on, but like he, he, Tim was fra- um, quoting him. And he was saying, you know, like, people don't realize that in, in Africa, back when Sepp Blatter was still president, people loved him. Like, Africans loved Sepp Blatter. Why? Because he, like, he got so much money to the African continent for grassroots football there that, of course, they loved him. And that's where he got all his votes for, um, for, you know, the presidential elections. Uh, which, again, I mean, was obviously he did some shady stuff too. But, but it's, again, just that different perspective of, like, okay, you know, football isn't just the big five countries. It isn't just the 20, you know, or 15 or however many clubs it was. Um, football is the, the Liechtensteins, the Ghanas, the Thailands, the Bolivias. That is really, just statistically speaking, that is football, you know, like that the majority of clubs of players are just tiny little, you know, obscure kind of, clubs and players that just kind of they earn minimum wage and they just kind of you know hang out for a bit you know that really is the majority of football so you know I don't know I try, I try and kind of yeah just kind of balance it out but um, regardless this whole thing is a bloody mess and I mean it's just uh, it, yeah I, I really hope that football as a whole comes out better as a result of this and that we all just kind of yeah figure stuff out you know I really really hope so um, but knowing people, uh, probably won't, probably, probably won't. Nevertheless, you got some players with some great peace and power. <laughs>
2: I like the cat. I like the, uh, catchphrase for this episode. That's very good. If you can, uh, write That'll that out title. with the,
3: uh, yeah, <laughs>
2: if you can write knowledge. that out with the appropriate accent. I'll be very <laughs>
3: impressed. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do when I post it. <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll kind of piggyback on uh, on what Chuck said as a fan of a club that's, you know, obviously still a massive club like Serie A, huge payroll, all of that, but also is uh, several orders of magnitude smaller in a lot of ways than Juventus, despite what we like to tell ourselves sometimes. Yeah, I, I think that most most fans of clubs that are not Super League that weren't a part of it or weren't invited, you know. I, th- I think a lot, a lot of the the outpouring of just disgust with the Super League is. I mean, I think something was probably transferred a little bit because, yeah, UEFA, FIFA, all the, you know, down to FIGC, Serie A, these are all corrupt and bad organizations. Uh, I think, too, though, that uh, when when you get a chance to see the people at the top of the heap get brought down back to everyone else's level a little bit, that's just inherently satisfying as a human being. Like, we like those stories. I think also having it be these billionaires specifically, you know, people like uh, Agnelli. Is basically royalty in Italy. I know we established, we abolished the monarchy there a while back, but like, come on. Uh, Florentino Perez also incredibly wealthy, and when you see these people, uh, pardon my language, but just get out on national television in front of the whole world and show their asses. It's really, really great, and that I think is what people like. Like you, you never get. The bond villains all coming out of the woodwork together and saying hey we have this laser that we are going to point at the moon like that doesn't happen in real life and so when you get these yahoos coming out and saying they want to destroy the whole system of soccer in the world which like chuck says the vast majority of which is not operating in the champions league or the europa league or even on television I mean, you know, if you play Sunday League in the U.S., where I am, obviously, you can theoretically take your Sunday League team into the U.S. Open. So you're still you feel like you're a part of that. And when you get someone who tries to remove all of that, you're taking it away from the people who like the game. And I mean, you know, let's all be honest. These people are all insanely wealthy. They have more power than anyone needs you know some of them are literally being backed up by sovereign governments the super league i I actually don't agree with you on this sam i think it is going to happen i mean whether that is by changing the rules of the champions league so that it becomes more exclusive which is already happening and i mean maybe that's all the super league was was an attempt to make that more exclusive and to better guarantee spots to the bigger teams quote unquote but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's these, as a Fiorentina fan, let me tell you, it's all about these moments of tiny, finite triumph in a world that piles defeat and misery on you and won't stop until everything goes black for the last time. These are the moments that you have to hang on to and cherish. And so I, th- I think that everyone who is not a Super League club supporter is really hanging on to that. And it's it's brought around this sense of like, we beat the bad guys, like, yeah, they're gonna come back and take horrific revenge. And we know this, but until we are laid waste to, we get to enjoy it. And I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not accusing you guys or honestly, most Juve fans of this. I mean, none of y'all had anything to do with this, but I think it does go to show more than anything how out of touch the people at the top levels of the game are with the game itself. And that, to me, is the biggest problem. Not that a bunch of billionaires wanted to make themselves richer, because we know that's going to happen, right? If you're a billionaire, your whole raison d'etre is to make more money. And they're going to keep doing that. And they're going to do it, because once you've got that much money, you can't lose it. You can only make more of it. And the best way to do that is a closed competition. But until that point, yeah, this feels great. And again, I'm, I'm very sorry to, like, I'm I'm gloating a little bit here, I'll be honest. But, like, I can also see how if this was Fiorentina, I would probably spend a little bit of time trying to convince myself that this wasn't a, a huge, terrible thing that was happening to the game. And I'm, I'm very grateful I don't have to do those mental gymnastics right now. But also, you know, I, I think that there is no world in which a Super League is good or useful for anyone other than a few extremely rich white old men.
0: Yeah, and, and what you said, Tito, was it, it uh, I was I was thinking about talking about this now uh, before you said it and then and then you did. I was I was having a conversation on a Facebook group that I'm a part of with a another Juventus fan who was very much gung ho for the Super League concept because there are some of them I think a lot of it has to do with there's a there is a segment of Juventus fans that want to see the system burn after Calciopoli when they they felt really hard done by by the the system and want to see it to go you know go up in smoke but And this person and I were talking and he was like, you know, why are you so upset about the concept of a super league when it's going to be happen when it's going to happen anyway, just look at the way UEFA just, you know, the new format that UEFA just put in. And, and I said, and I, and my reply to him was, if the 12 super league clubs had been patient and waited for that moment and the Champions League eventually became something like that. N- naturally evolved into that, which, as you said, Tito, probably is coming. And it, and the and the beginnings of it are always are are already, as we've seen, the day after the Super League were 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 brought out by UEFA. I don't think the reaction would be have would have been nearly as vitriolic. It, we everyone would have. Everyone would have hated it, but eventually they would have held their noses and, and gone with it. The difference here was here were 12 clubs that said, we are we are better than you because we say we are. And that was the, the mistake. That was why that was where you get this huge outpouring of anger and, and, and rage. And, and that ended up taking the entire concept down. And, and, and like you said, you know, it, it, it's probably going to end up, and I will, I will slightly amend my, my previous statement to say, yeah, the Super League probably will end up happening. It'll probably end up happening under the auspices of UEFA. I don't think it'll ever be a breakaway like this again, but yeah, I, I, I just think that it was, this whole thing was so poorly planned and it, it, it remind it it's a little bit like the last couple of, of we, of years of Andrea Agnelli, where he just starts, he started running too fast for himself with Ronaldo, with, you know, trying to pick coaches that would change the way that we play in within a blink of an eye, after years of going slow and building up, he decided to, you know, try and, and start moving at a breakneck pace. And he did the same thing with the super league. And I think I said this last week too. I don't think that they would have rushed this so much if it hadn't been for COVID because there are a couple of, I mean, Juve is certainly in a desperate situation right now. And, uh, when it comes to funds after COVID and I, so many people that I've talked to talk whenever I say that, you know make jokes about how much money Agnelli, the Agnelli family and Exor has and I'm like well yeah but Juventus only gets as much as Exor says they get and and then they have to make it all the rest but yeah it's it it was it was just the titanic arrogance of it all and 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 the and just undue haste that unraveled this whole thing and now who knows where we're going
3: Yeah, I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week. Uh, We're certainly not done talking about this. But when I said that last week, I figured there'd still be a Super League around. So who knows what can happen the the day this podcast drops. Anyways, that's Super Duper League. That's right. Super Duper League. (laughs) With the same boring logo, too. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like how you went Super Saiyan. It's kind of like how in Dragon Ball Z, they went Super Saiyan, Super Saiyan 2, and then they just went like some ridiculous power levels. I believe, I
0: believe the current top level is Super Saiyan God Super Saiyan. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah true. I yeah, believe yeah, yeah. that is the top level at yeah, the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First was, yeah. Anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs> 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 all right, as always. For can- the record, Vegeta is my favorite character. Just yeah. saying, just
3: yeah. saying, thank you. I promise that next week we will have the return of Twitter questions. I know we haven't had them last couple weeks, but they will return on next week's episode. So if you want to ask us a Twitter question, send us something at Juventus nation on Twitter, on Facebook. You can follow us on black and white and red all over on all the podcasting formats, search black and white and red all over. If you listen to us on Apple podcasts or on iTunes, feel free to leave us a rating and review Tito plug where people can find you.
2: Ah, they could probably find me. People know how to use Google. But you could check violanation.com. We're at ViolaNation on Twitter. You could search for our podcast, that name, on all the major podcasting apps
3: as well. Thank you very much, Cheeto, for stopping by. I know you were uh, – we've been talking about you jumping on a podcast for I don't know how many weeks now. So finally, we got you on. So uh, And we got you in a good mood because Juventus dropped points against Fiorentina. So that's yeah. That's a plus. That's a plus for you at least.
2: Yeah, you chose a really good week. I'm way less grumpy right now than I usually am. So uh, <laughs> nice timing. And thank y'all for having me on and letting me, you know, rant against the team that you all love and support and being like super patient and okay with that. I, I appreciate that and admire and respect you all greatly for your willingness to do that.
3: We we appreciate we love you. having you here, man. We appreciate you, buddy, and you're you're always welcome around here. So for sam and for chucks and for sergio who should be back next week this is danny saying thank you very much for listening stay safe out there and we will talk to you guys next week